So we've been in Romans the last few weeks, and they've been, uh, man, really good. If you've been following along with us, and even in your small group Bible studies, um, you could follow along with, with that, and also just listening online or attending, best way of all, connecting with people and being in church. But it's been a really good series, but we're going to take a break over these next couple weeks. And sometimes that's great, because uh, it kind of lets us step back from where we're at. But then other times, it's like you have to think of something on your own. And sometimes I just like being told what to do at times in my life. Then, of course, when someone tells me what to do, I want to rebel against what they tell me to do. Um, I don't know. It's that constant contradiction going on in my life. Um, but I don't know, if you've ever had something in your head that turned out in reality way different than what you pictured, um, and I may have told this story before, at least I know I've said, told it in small group. When we moved to Texas, we, we bought our first house, and I thought, you know what would be really cool to make in our backyard? <laughs> A greenhouse, Right? I mean, you could have plants, you could do all this stuff, you could like put it together and you could grow year round and when it's a freeze, you can still grow tomatoes or strawberries or whatever. And so I go out and I buy the stuff to make it and I um, get some four by fours and I am at this point in time, like if you think I'm not savvy like about manly work now, you should have seen me when we first got married. I knew nothing about like putting anything together. So I put this greenhouse together, get PVC pipe, run it down into these four by fours that I have some stakes going through to hold it together, lace the plastic through it, blah, it's going to be perfect, go get the soil, line it out, put some strawberry plants in it, and I'm like, this is going to be awesome, I can grow strawberries, I can grow whatever. Um, I I should know better, I grew up in West Texas, Eastern New Mexico, what happens the first day a windstorm comes through, what happens to that greenhouse? (laughs) It is shredded, man. If you think we get wind here, like the wind we had when they're shutting off all the power, that's just like an average day in West Texas. Like the wind just blows. Like it's hard to give you guys an understanding of how often and how much the wind blows there. And it just shredded this greenhouse that I'd worked so hard and spent this money on and it just was destroyed. And so this idea that I have in my mind did not work out that well. And so today for my message, I'm hoping it works out a lot better than that greenhouse worked out for me that day, because this has just been some thoughts rolling around in my head as I've been reading uh, through the Gospel of Matthew, and I kept coming across this certain word as I was reading, and it just triggered some thoughts in my mind that I want to share with you. I tried to put it into, format it into a message, but just things that were challenging in my life. So I was reading, I came to Matthew 7 and 8, and there was this word, it kept seeing out, and it's this word, authority. And so I had these thoughts on what does it look like at authority in our life, authority that Jesus is authority and, and other authority figures in our life. And so here in the end of Matthew 7, we're going to start looking at just a quick background on what's going on. This is Jesus finishing his longest recorded sermon. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. It's kind of like his keynote address, his main message that he gives. And I don't want to look at all he said because at some point in the future of Mountain View Church, we're actually going to teach through that more thoroughly, so I'm going to just give you kind of a a little snippet of it. But he teaches on a whole host of topics, and if you've ever thought to yourself, I wonder what Jesus said about Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is a great place to start, because he probably addresses it there. Um, But he finishes his Sermon on the Mount, or he's talking to his disciples, and by extension, people around his disciples, um, there's this large crowd that's following him, and he goes up on a hillside and he teaches them. And after his teaching, here's what's recorded in Matthew 7, 28 and 29. It says this, When Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. So these crowds are just amazed at how he's teaching them. Now the Greek word there for authority is exousia, and it's really a double meaning kind of word, and it means the power to act and the authority to act. 
And the word here is trying to combine these two things to where it, it, it combines that Jesus had the power and the authority, not just the English word we use as authority. I don't know how many of you guys ever remember a show called King of Queens. Did you watch that at all? Kevin, a few of you. Okay, Kevin James, bigger guy, he's a comedian, he's a really funny guy. Well, one day he, he substitute teaching uh, at a school while, while his company's on strike. So he's trying to make some money and he's substituting. So he goes in there and he basically ends up, the, the episode, he sends like half his class to detention as a substitute teacher. And the principal comes in and informs him, you can't do this, you're a substitute teacher, okay? So he's in a position of authority, but he has no power to act. So there's a difference, right? We can be in positions of authority without having the power to act. It's trying to address here that Jesus had both. He had the power to say it, the power to act, and he was in the authority position to say what he is teaching. Um, Something about the way Jesus teaches people causes them to realize this guy's unique. He's not teaching as the scribes taught. So my first thought is then, well, what's the difference? How do the scribes teach if he's not teaching how the scribes taught? And so when I started looking into it, this is what I found. A scribe would basically teach or recite based on established teachings, or they would just recite Bible passages, or recite Old Testament passages, or cite things that have already been taught. They would not give their own personal exposition or teaching on a passage. Um, If they did, it was in this way. They would credit a rabbi or credit the other person who said it and give them all the credit for it. That way it's all on them. They weren't putting anything on their shoulders. It's not me saying this. It's them saying it. So they'll credit this rabbi and then they'll use that to say it. Like in our legal system, when a lawyer uh, is, is challenging a case or, or they're fighting, uh, presenting something, they oftentimes use established legal precedent from a case that was already tried, from a case that was already tried, from a case that was already tried. So they're not really presenting anything new. They're saying, the court's already ruled this way. You have to see it my way. Right? So they're just using established legal precedent. And Jesus comes on the scene and he does something completely different. He starts saying, you've heard it said this, but I'm telling you this. And he starts teaching in, a, in an authority way, as an authority figure. And so like right now, even what I'm doing, this is an example of how the scribes would teach. What I'm about to do, I'm going to quote from a commentary, Ellicott's commentary. So when I do this, I'm not owning this as my own teaching. I'm accrediting and accounting it to him. This is his teaching. This is what he said on this passage. He says it this way. Our Lord fills the people with amazement. By speaking to them as one who has a direct message from God, it is the prophet, or rather perhaps the king who speaks, and not the scribe. And here's the big difference, guys. The scribes would teach by authority. They were teaching by someone else's authority. Jesus taught with authority. He had the power to teach and the authority in which to teach it. And so Jesus was the authority. He did not walk on the scene and like pound people Pound, the, pound his fist on the table and demand people recognize his authority. He came on the scene and people seem to recognize it. When he calls his first disciples, how does he call them? He says, he doesn't beg and plead and demand like, do this, do this. He says, why don't you go let out your nets on, uh, go, go put out your nets again. And we've been fishing all night. We'll just go do it one more time. They go let it out. They get so many fish. Basically, their nets almost break. Their boats almost sink. They come back to shore and Jesus just says, come and follow me. There's this recognized, and I don't know how to entirely encapsulate it, but there's clearly this recognized authority that Jesus had in in people's lives. And so they get up and they leave everything they have and they follow Jesus. And so the people listening understand he's not a scribe. He's not teaching on behalf of someone else. He has a direct message from the king. It is a message from the king. So our first thought and just question here is, have you recognized the authority of Jesus in your life? 
And the first and most important way to do that is bowing your heart to him in salvation. That's our first step in acknowledging Jesus as the authority of our life. So we admit our way is not right. We admit we've messed up. You know, that, that, that's a battle of pride in our heart to admit my way is not the correct way, that I've messed it up, that I've done things wrong. Uh, Ron talked about it last week. He used the Greek word. It's a good one to remember, har- harmatia. Means to miss the mark, as an archer would miss the mark. We've all missed that mark. Romans three twenty three, when he talked, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's all of us. We've all been in that position. We all miss the mark of perfection, and that's sin. It separates us from God. So then we we believe in what Jesus did on the cross, that He died on the cross as a penalty for our sins. He rose from the grave, showing power over death, and then we place our faith in Him alone as Savior. That's our first step at acknowledging the authority Jesus has in our life. It's a starting point, really for acknowledging that. The next thing we do to recognize the authority of Jesus in our life is to submit to his leading. As we begin to admit we are not in control, he is the Lord and master of our life. And this needs to be part of a growing believer or a maturing believer's life, is admitting less and less we're in control and more and more he's the Lord and master. Uh, it's, it's this concept of open-handedness. I'm not holding on to anything. It's all yours, God. No, nothing is, is mine. You're in control, I am not. I'm letting go. Come at you open-handed. And so are you maturing and growing in your recognition to the authority Jesus has in your life? You know, hopefully that's an area we are maturing and growing as. But this is a struggle, and I don't really want to talk about the the concept too much, but just just the idea of once we become believers, at some point, hopefully we, we, we grasp that, that Jesus is Lord and authority in our life. And I don't know that a person from the moment they are saved, that you instantly understand what the full weight of that looks like in your life. I don't know that we can fully grasp the authority of Jesus in our life from the moment we become believers. Um, but there should be some revealing in, the, in our life that Jesus is the authority figure in our life, that he's becoming master, that he's becoming Lord. Um, you know, I, I, I have no ability to judge someone's heart. But the reality is a lot of times we can look at someone's life and, and get a, a degree of understanding of what's important to them. You know, if Jesus is just a small portion of your life, it's probably going to be revealed in how you live. If Jesus is kind of important in your life, that may be revealed in how you live. But if he's a, the authority, the central part, the one you follow as number one in your life, that will also probably be revealed in your life. And I'll just give you a a silly example. If I tell you I'm a dog person, that I love dogs, I love taking them for walks, I love petting them, love bathing them, feeding them, all all the other grooming, I mean, you don't necessarily have to believe that, but if if I was to tell you that, that that I I love dogs, and I went on and on, I said, I can't stand cats, don't like them, don't want them around me, Um, and I I kind of was effusive about that. At face value, you'd you'd believe me, right? I mean, you have no reason to, to not believe me. If I was to be adamant about that. But then you came over to my house. And there's not a dog to be seen. There's not a dog in the yard. You come inside. There's not a dog. And and you find cat toys. And you find cats everywhere. Like you think I'm a cat lady. The amount of cats I have. You find scratch pads. You know where they're supposed to scratch that. And not your furniture. But they still scratch your furniture right? You buy those dumb things. And they're worthless. Because they're still going to get your couch. Um, you You find litter boxes. You even see like motivational cat posters hanging on my wall. And I promise you, Google search it. They exist. The cat hanging from the rope that says, hang in there. Motivational cat posters exist. And if you have one, don't tell anybody. You should be ashamed of yourself. 
okay? But if I was to tell you I, I'm a dog person and you come in my house and you see all of that stuff, right? At bare minimum, you're going to be conflicted about what I said, that I told you I'm a dog. And that's at minimum. And in fact, you probably have some significant doubts about what I proclaimed to you about being a dog person. And while none of you would actually, you, you, none of you could truly examine my heart and know for sure what I am, you would know that for an alleged dog person, I sure owned a lot of cats. And you, you would struggle with that. And I feel like sometimes as believers, or I, I should say that in quotes, believers, I feel like sometimes we're like trying so hard to convince others of the truth that is not in us, instead of truly examining our life and our heart and seeing, have I truly bowed my knee to Jesus? Is he truly the authority in my life? We work so hard wanting to convince other people of something that may not even be the reality of our life. But we want to work so hard to convince others it is. So is he Lord, master, authority in your life? You know, the Christian community gets get so upset if they perceive anyone judging them. You know, they may not know another Bible verse in the whole scripture, but they know in there it says something about judging. And, and we know how to use it out of context quite well. But at some point, I think the challenge needs to be just an honest evaluation of our life. And what is our life revealing? I'm not here to, to tell you what's in your heart. I'm, I'm saying, take it seriously. Evaluate the condition of your heart. Is Jesus Lord and Master of your life? Have you bowed your knee to him in salvation? Or are you continuing to admit he's Lord and living as, for him as the authority of your life? So when we say Jesus is Lord and authority in our life, is that being revealed through our reading of his scripture and following his word and what he teaches Spending time in communication known as prayer. Are we giving? Are we serving? Are we loving the, the world around us? You know, again, I, I feel like it's an easy tagline. Our love for God leads us to love our world. But is that the reality of our life that's lived out at time to time? Where we do love our world? Are we forgiving others? Are we worshiping God with our life, our time? Are we going to church and being surrounded by other believers in fellowship, accountability, and helping us move forward and mature in our faith? You know, these are not things that determine your salvation, but they might reveal if you've come to a place where you've truly put your faith in Christ. At minimum, at minimum they reveal if you're growing and maturing in that walk. So is, is Jesus really the authority in your life if you don't do any of the things he tells you? Or are you just trying to convince others that he is? You know, during a Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said this in Matthew seven eighteen. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So where's this line of salvation and submitting to Jesus' authority? I, I, don't, I don't know. I think salvation is about belief in the heart and believing in Jesus. We say that all the time. But salvation is a serious matter and we don't need to be flippant about it. If we're not following Jesus as Lord of our life, I think at minimum we need to do some heart examination and see who is truly Lord. Have I truly come to that place where I've admitted Jesus as Lord? And am I following him? I want to read another passage that was there in Matthew 8. As Matthew 7 ended into Matthew 8, um, says this in Matthew 8, 5 and 10. When he, referring to Jesus, had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at my home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. 
But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and another one, come, and he comes to to my servant. Do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, no one in Israel have I found such faith. We just see this, another example of someone who recognizes the authority of Jesus. It's not even something we could put our finger on and say, this is how we did it. But there was some, a clear indicator that people recognized the authority Jesus had in this world. You know, we're not going to go back and kind of rehash all that, but as moving forward, even looking at this position the Roman soldier was in and thinking through people in that position in our life. And I want to, like, look at this concept of deserved authority in our life. Deserved authority. The centurion was in a position where he deserved authority. His men would do as they were told. Now, it was a different time. Um, Derelict of duty or disobedience to a Roman officer would not just get you a swat on the wrist. It would most likely lead to, at minimum, severe punishment, imprisonment, and, and, and likely death. So very different times. So they obeyed whether they wanted to or not. But people in positions and deserved authority in our life are people who are in that position and they deserve our submission to them based on the position God has put them in. You know, we may or may not have wanted them in that position, but we have a responsibility to follow them and follow the authority that they have because God's placed them in that position. And there's this acknowledgement that ultimately... He's put them there. Our submission and following to them is more following God than it is about following the person. Romans 13.1 says it this way. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. So there are clearly some people in our life that are in deserved authority positions, and we don't get a say whether they deserve it or not, and whether we'd want them in that position or not. So who are some of those people in our life our parents, biblically we're told parents, you should like, if your kids are with you, nudge them and elbow them right now and say amen. Parents are in a deserved authority position in our life. Ephesians 6, 1 and 2. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother. We are in a, a position, they deserve authority in our life. Whether we like them or not, whether we like what they've told us or not, they deserve, they're in that deserved authority position. Another one, church and church leaders. Uh-oh. Ron, you should say amen. You got to tell people what to do, right? Yeah. You know, this could be on the list of given authority as well. But this is kind of one of those things. This is why picking a church home is important and, and shouldn't be like a decision made lightly. Once you become part of a church, in a sense, you're submitting to that leadership and the spiritual leadership in particular. This isn't necessarily like a control of your life, but a lot more about spiritual leadership and direction and accountability and challenging you. Um, Hebrews 13, 17, obey your leaders, and, and within the context of that, it's talking about your spiritual leaders, and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Yeah, so your church and church leaders, next, your government, they're in a position of deserved authority. Be sub- 1 Peter two thirteen through 15, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So we're told to be subject or be in submission to. So are you giving people in your life the respect they deserve based on the position they hold? You know, I I can be guilty of this, right? 
not giving proper respect and, and, and submission to people in my life who deserve it, that God's placed there. Because it's like, well, I don't like them or I didn't want them there or I don't like what they represent or stand for. And I think it's easy for us to do that. And, and what do we do when we do that? We elevate ourselves to a position we're not told to elevate ourselves to. We're not respecting and submitting to the authority based on their ability to earn it. When we do it, we're submitting and respecting the authority because God's established the authority and placed them there. In respecting and honoring authority, I'm respecting and honoring God and what he's told me to do. So it's much more about my relationship to him and do I trust him as sovereign Lord who placed authority or do I think I know better and so I don't have to follow them? Last thing I want to look at as far as this idea of authority is this thing of given authority. So given authority is people or things Yes, that things are something we give authority to in our life, regardless of whether they deserve it or not. So we have a choice to enter into a relationship with that person or thing that then grants them authority in our life. Um, and these are some things to think through when you make decisions. It's like, who or what are you giving authority by doing something? Is this someone or something in my life that should have authority in my life? There's times we've got to think through that and not just enter into our decisions so carelessly. When we, when we do things, we give authority. In almost every area of our life, we give people authority in some way. So the first thing that just came to my mind, and maybe it's because I've had a bad, I had a history of this or a bad decision, but, but a boss, when you, when you make a decision to take in a, a job somewhere, you're granting that company, that boss, you're giving them some authority in your life. Whether you like it or not, I don't know about you, but have you ever taken a, a bad job or taken a job and you realize like, oh man, I made a mistake, right? I do not like the person I'm working for, but guess what? We've given them that authority in our life and now we have a responsibility to do what they've told us because now we are working for them. Ephesians 6, again, a chapter, if you want to read it, talks a lot about authority and submission to it. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a severe heart, a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. Again, so we're working not based on do we like our boss or not. We're working as obedience to Christ. So we submit and we honor those authority figures in our life because we are honoring God. So when I take a job, I cannot like the boss and I cannot like what he's asking me to do, but that is irrelevant. Your feelings in the matter are irrelevant if we look at the scriptural truth is that we obey and we honor and we submit out of respect to authority that God's put in our life and we've chosen to place ourselves under when we choose to take that position. Our friends, who are the people in your life that you allow to influence your decisions? When you do that, you've given them authority in your life. And this is a, a, a big reason you need to be very cautious about who you allow into that. I, I call it like your sphere of influence. Who have you allowed into that sphere of influence? Not people that you enjoy doing stuff with. We all have people that we will do casual life with. But who are those people that are in that sphere of influence that you allow influence? When you do that, you are allowing them authority and you need to be very careful about that. Because what are they influencing you to do? Because you're now, in a sense, and we never admit this, we don't say, oh, I, I'm... I'm subservient to them. But if your group of friends is pulling at you to do this and encouraging you to do this and you know that's not right but they're in that sphere of influence or that authority, guess what? You're going to do most of the time. You're going to follow right along with them. Even the Bible warns us about it in 1 Corinthians. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Another way it says is bad company ruins good character. 
Are we cautious in who we give authority to? Proverbs 18.24, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there's a friend who sticks closer to, than a brother. Man, flies are terrible today. Have you noticed that? We were killing flies before church left and right, and I don't think we did a dent in the fly population in America today. We tried, though. The next thing we give authority to, and this is a big one we don't think about a lot of times, is our possessions. You know, oftentimes our stuff is a much larger authority in, in our life than we think it is. See, every time we purchase something, especially with large things, we give it some level of authority in our life because now we have to pay for it, so we've got to justify how we're going to pay for it. We have to justify using it. We have to maintain it. And so all of a sudden, and, and I'll just, you know, we're at church, so I'll just use church as an example. So you buy something big, so now you, can't, you, you have to give up money that you were giving, however you were giving, because now we have to pay for this. Well, now I bought it, so I have to use it, so now I've got to skip church because I've got to justify why I bought it and spent that money. So now we're going to skip church to use it, and now I've got to maintain it, which is going to take more money and more time. And so we, and again, I'm not making a statement on right or wrong on things, but do we ever think through those things? We give that authority in our life. You know, my parents, when all our kids left house, they bought 20 acres in the country in this old house. And, and you know, I guess good for them. I, I don't know. Like, my mind can't, who wants to buy a house that you have to work on? That, that's like, I want a house with cement and no work done. It's all fully done. I don't want to have to mow. Mar- I want Mark Leahy's backyard. He doesn't have to mow a yard. <laughs> But, you know, we give authority, right? We give our time. We have to. And so I just want you, I I think it's just good for us to think through when it comes to that. What are we giving our authority to? Have I given up my whole life for this stuff? Because now I got to work to pay for it. I got to work to use it. I got to work to maintain it. And now I'm under the authority of stuff and I'm not under the authority of Jesus anymore. This stuff has got a hold on me. It's got a death grip on me. Proverbs 22, 7 even warns us about the pain for stuff. It says the rich rules over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. We oftentimes find ourselves as a slave to our possessions instead of being bondservants to Christ. And we make those decisions and go into them gleefully half the time. Another one, substances. Another one, it's not a person in our life, but a lot of times we've given the authority of our life over to substances. We con- we're controlled by them. You know, we call, that, we call that bondage. And when we talk about freedom in Christ, a lot of times it's breaking free from that bondage or the things that have control of us. So what are the things we cannot live without? And I, and I don't know if that's you, but, but man, we need to get you some help of breaking free if you're controlled by that and can't live without it. Paul talks about our freedom in Christ in 1 Corinthians six twelve. He says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. I will not be dominated by anything. So he says, nothing's going to control me. Nothing tells me and, and controls my life. I'm not under the authority of anything or substance. He says this about, in, in reference to alcohol, he says in Ephesians 5.18, do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. You know, we, we should not let substances control our lives and become the authority of our life. And if you really find yourself in that place, um, I'll say this, the reality is you're, you're not alone. You're not the first person who's ever done that. Um, and, and within our church family, we have people who've been there. We have people who are there currently. And, and what we'd really like to do is, is really point you to the reality that there's freedom from that abuse. There's freedom from that bondage in relationship with Christ. And, and man, so if, if, if that's you, um, 
more than like this shame-based wanting you to feel terrible about yourself. It's more just admitting that's where you're at and then coming to a point where let's get you some help. Let's move you forward. Let's find freedom in Christ and break free from some of those things that have held us in bondage and slavery to sin. And we got people, like I said, we got people in our church that, that are in the middle of some of these programs that help lead some of these programs that we would love to connect you with, but to break these chains of addiction, things that control us, things that are authority in our life. Another one, a given authority in our life. Sometimes our coaches are given authorities, right? You choose to play. You choose to let your kids play. You give them authority in that position in your life. And some people, they don't want to do that. They want, they want to do what they want to do, right? They want to play in a certain team, but they don't want to do what the coach tells them. I, I filled in recently for, for Ryan's team, and I coached just one week because um, I, I, I just get too competitive, and I needed a year off because, like, I get... Um, if I, Ron and Carrie came out and even watched that day, I just, I, and I just, I, tr- I try to never be a negative competitor, but I get excited. Like, it's just like, I get pumped up and well, I first play, I have a kid run back to the huddle and, and I'm, I haven't coached him yet and I don't know him. And he runs back and decides he's going to inform me what play we should run and also inform me that he was open. And I informed him that if he opened his mouth again, he would watch the rest of the game from the bench. Okay. Um, because there's, it's like, there's not a place for all of that, right? Like, I'm running this thing. You can be quiet and be part of the team, or you can go sit on the bench, and then you can talk all you want, and no one will hear you. <laughs> and, and I think sometimes, like, we do that in areas of our life. We want certain things, but we don't want to submit to the authority that goes along with it. We want the benefits of being part of a team without submitting to the person running the team. And I wonder if, for us, that's kind of how we look at our relationship with Jesus, We want the benefits of being part of the team without submitting to the person who's running the team. You know, there are things we like about church, and there's things we like about this God thing. That sounds fun. That sounds doable. And so I'll be part of it for this. Oh, but now you're asking me to serve. Now you're asking me to give. Now you're asking me for commitment and involvement. Ooh, I don't know about that. I don't know that I'm I'm so down with being part of this team anymore. I was good with the loving stuff. I was good with the people forgiving me stuff. But now you're telling me I've got to forgive others? There comes a real challenge when, when Jesus becomes the center point and the authority figure, and it's not just in the things we like or come easy for us, in the things that challenge us and prod us out of our comfort zone. You know, at men's retreat, one of the speakers said it this way, and I'm just stealing it from him. He talked about the pictures we see in churches usually. And he said, usually in most churches you walk in, and if you find a picture of Jesus, he's either sitting around with a bunch of, bunch of kids or he's... I can't even hardly say it without laughing. Or he's cuddling lambs. <laughs> and, and I thought what was so funny is this week I walked into a church, and we were just looking at a, at a church, and uh, what do I see on the wall? Cuddling lambs, Jesus, a picture of it, absolutely. And I'm just like laughing, and I'm like, you've got to see this, and I don't want to insult their church, but it's like, there's cuddling lambs, Jesus, there's the picture of him, right? Because that's the Jesus we're comfortable with. But there's also the Jesus who comes with the sword. There's Jesus, the authority figure. There's the Jesus who died on the cross and endured great punishment on our behalf. Are we submitting to that authority? Who or what have you given authority in your life? And that's an examine your heart question. It's going to be evident in your life. Jesus, again, in his Sermon on the Mountain, one of the passages, he said this in Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth 
nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So what do you treasure? Where do you invest your, your energy, your talents? You can kind of begin to figure out who you've given authority in your life, if you're honest with yourself. Do you need to make some changes in that structure? Maybe you really, at this point in your life, you really got to focus on making Christ number one. Maybe there's some things you need to prune out of your life. Maybe it's within those things that you do or are part of that you still follow the authority of Christ and you're still following his leading and interacting and engaging people in a missional living. Of not just living for yourself and living flippantly, but engaging the world around you in your obedience to him. But is following him and obedience to him a priority for you or is it secondary or third or fourth or whatever you may say it is? 1 John 2, 3 through 6. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way he walked. You know, oftentimes we, we try to explain away some of those verses because they make us uncomfortable. So it's not the, necessarily the feel-good thing we always want to hear. But I think sometimes there's a good time and place in our life to wrestle through these things of what he's telling us and just examining our heart and our life, saying, am I following him? Am I striving to make Jesus the authority in my life? I've admitted he's Savior. I believed in him as Savior. Now I need to follow him more as Lord and what he's telling me to do and live that out. See, Jesus deserves our submission. He deserves that place of authority. Through that, he's placed other people in positions of authority in our life that we should submit to. But first and foremost, Scripture tells us is him, is submitting to Jesus and following the rest of the people as we would follow Christ. You know, if we get that part right, everything else is going to become easier. If I could submit to Jesus and the challenging stuff he's pushing us to do, how much easier is it now for me to follow someone maybe at work that I don't like what he's asking me to do? So go, go start reading your New Testament if you don't think Jesus throws out some, some tall orders for challenging us as believers. He puts some things out there that are challenging and difficult. Forgiving others, even if they don't deserve it, forgive them multiple times, time and time again, that person who wrongs you over and over. He says, you've heard it said, don't, don't commit adultery, but I tell you, whoever looks on a woman with lust has committed adultery in his heart. That's not difficult in our world. Yeah, it's not just, I, you've heard it said, do not kill, but I tell you, whoever has hate in his heart is guilty of the same sin. That's not a challenge in our world. So some of these things Jesus is calling us to are, are, are challenging, challenging things as believers. And if we can submit to his authority and following him, so what our boss asks us to do something we don't like to do? Man, I'm trying to love people. I'm trying to not have hate in my heart. I'm trying not to have lust in my heart. That's challenging, Doing what you've told me to do is easy. So if we get that, that structure right of Jesus' authority in number one, a lot of the rest of that stuff is just going to naturally fall into place. I want to close with this verse in Matthew again. It was kind of all there. If you want to go back and reread it, it was too much to give you. Like, but over time, Matthew 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. 5, 6, 7 are the Sermon on the Mount. 8 and 9 were kind of the follow-up to it. But Jesus has just forgiven this paralyzed man. And the people or the religious leaders at that time accuse him of blasphemy because he said your sins are forgiven. He 
tells this paralyzed guy, he doesn't, he doesn't heal him just yet, but he says, your sins are forgiven. And they're like, who are you that you can forgive someone's sins? So they're accusing him of blasphemy. And, and I want you to see this verse in Matthew 9, 6. And this is what Jesus says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority. He has the authority. So he's in the position and he has the power to act. That twofold meaning, on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic man, rise, pick up your bed and go home. So he heals this man, again showing his authority, but he also forgave his sins. And here's what I want us to grasp. Of all of this, this is, if, if this is the one thing you leave with, great. The reality is that Jesus still has the authority to forgive sins today. And in fact, he's already displayed that through his death on the cross. And his resurrection showing his power over death. And so I just want to kind of close with these, these two questions and thoughts. Have you believed in Jesus as Savior? Man, have you bowed your heart to him, admitting you missed that mark as we started at the very beginning? Getting the authority structure of our life right first comes to admitting Jesus is Lord and he's Savior and believing in him. And then believer, Christian, wanting to grow and mature in your faith, are you following him as Lord and Master? Are you continuing to say, I die daily? take up my cross and follow you. There's a pastor I listened to um, uh, named Kyle Eidelman um, and, and that's what he said. He has, he has a place where he goes and does, does his devotions and stuff and what he has painted on the wall is that saying, I die daily because it's not about us anymore. If we're believers in Christ, it's about us living for him. So are we dying to ourselves daily and saying, Jesus, your authority, you're the Lord, you're the one who's in control. I'm going to follow you today. Whatever it takes, so if that means following a boss I don't like, I'll do it. If that means helping out a, a neighbor when I don't want to, well, that's a tough one for me because I got neighbors all around me that ask for help for stuff. And there's many times I, I fell at that one. <laughs> I'm, I'm just honest with you. But I die, I die daily. Am I living for myself or am I living for him? Is he the authority in my life that I'm following? Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you died on the cross for our sins, ultimately providing us with salvation or the opportunity of salvation if we believe in Christ. Um, Lord, I, I know there, myself included, there are everyone in this room, we have struggles in some way of submitting to your authority and following you. Maybe we've given that authority over to people or things or substances, God. May we begin to follow you and, and break free from those things that control us. Um, Lord, help us to grow and mature as believers in our walk with you of coming to a point where we admit you are Lord and I am not. That I want to follow you and not just do what I want to do. I don't want to be the petulant child anymore that says, I want it my way. But that I want to be the growing man that says, I want to follow Jesus and do what he says. In Jesus' name, amen.